Good morning, everyone. I'm sure many are still driving through the uh, unexpected fog. I, I've only been in Bakersfield for a little under a decade, but I understand the fog used to be a, a, a much more frequent thing when there used to actually be water underground. Um, and apparently, since there's no water anymore, the fog doesn't happen that often. <clears throat> uh, it is amazing to me, thinking about watching people drive in the fog like they're, like they're immortal. <laughs> And to think that some of them, many, probably most, don't know Christ. And yet they fly through life um, unaware that they're one second from eternity at any given time. Speaking of which, we're going to uh, talk about those who are one second from eternity. We're going to uh, finish up our little mini module on evangelism. And then next week, we're going to jump right into uh, module four which is our, our big push in uh, soteriology, as well as our normal Bible survey. But module four is our, our big push in soteriology, and we'll have a couple of announcements about BTI next week as well. So let's pray, and then we'll get started here on our final thoughts on evangelism. Our Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. It's uh, cool and foggy outside, Lord, but the warmth of the Word of God is ever-present, and the clarity with which we see Christ and see our God through the Word is here and is, is clear as glass. And so we thank you for the Word of God, Lord. We thank you for the gathering of the saints. I praise you for these who are here. We ask your help for those on their way. Lord, let this Lord's Day be truly glorious, where our souls are filled up with the Word of God, with the fellowship of the saints, with the songs of our faith, and that we are emboldened, Lord, to live lives that are pleasing to you, holy unto you. Let this day be pleasing to you and be useful to the church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to talk about starting the conversation today with evangelism. And we had already talked about getting the gospel right. We've talked about the pros and cons of evangelism methods Today, I just want to talk about starting the conversation. And um, we tend to think of, and you can start writing that if you want. We tend to think of evangelism as what I've called the encounter. It's the big, once-for-all, make-or-break conversation. You're, you're in line at the grocery store, and if uh, what often happens, for example, at Sprouts, where they have 97 people in line and one 19-year-old trying to check them all out, and you have time there. Um, and you, you begin speaking to someone, and all of a sudden you go, oh, no, I'm in the encounter. And the panic sets in, and you can't remember anything. I, I don't like to think of evangelism that way. Now, that's typical of cold evangelism, like we've talked about, where there's no previous relationship, there's no likelihood of the ability to follow up. But that's not really typical of biblical evangelism in general. That's not how the church has grown uh, through random, one-time encounters with people. That has not been God's, uh, if I can use the word, method. And I just put uh, I, these steps up here to review for you. This is uh, Mark Dever's very simple outline for the gospel, in the gospel and personal evangelism. And he gives these steps for personal evangelism. First of all, you pray. That you're always in prayer. That, that can be a part of your evangelism to the very end of your life. You can always pray for the lost. And, and I wonder how many people will stand before the Lord. And from a human standpoint, God will say, you are saved because your 94-year-old grandmother was praying for you. She couldn't do anything else, but she could pray. And then the second step, he says, is use the Bible. I know that sounds basic to us but i'm amazed how many evangelism methods go in with the presupposition that people are too stupid to understand the bible so you have to give them something else now of course we know spiritually speaking um, the unbeliever can't understand truth but they're not going to understand truth by hearing something that's not true does that make sense Using illustrations, uh, you know, your, your life is like a cauliflower. I, what? I don't understand that. If somebody doesn't want to listen to a gospel presentation, you know what you can do? Can I take 30 seconds and read three Bible verses to you? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and the Spirit of God will use, use the truth of the word. 
The third step, he says, is to be clear. Be clear. Don't, get, don't muddy the waters with, you know, how happy is your life? Or are you satisfied with your marriage or with your finances? That's what the typical evangelical church does in America is try to create a, 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 an appeal to have God make your life more satisfying. I'm sure that uh, Hugh Latimer, as he was being burned alive at the stake for his faith, just said, you know, my life is so satisfying right now. And so just be clear, stick to the gospel. You should provoke self-reflection, asking questions about eternal destiny, asking questions about how, how you think about God and revealing uh, thought patterns and revealing uh, idolatrous beliefs. What's one of the top idolatrous beliefs we have in our culture? When somebody dies, well, they're, they're looking down on us. They're watching out for us, right? That's, that's idolatry of dead people. That's basically witchcraft. And so when somebody says, yeah, my, my aunt died, but I, I'm confident that she's, she's up there somewhere watching out for us. What question do you ask? You know, that's an interesting thought and it's a comforting thought, but I'm wondering what you base that knowledge on. How do you know that? And begin to go toward self-reflection. And then, as we talked about before, use the church. The church of Jesus Christ is the evangelistic tool. It's, it's really simple. You bring people to hear the gospel. <clears throat> and so you use the church. In fact, the evangelistic methodology of the early church included at least those five areas. Let me just give you some examples. They did... Uh, In the early church, there was temple and synagogue preaching. You went to a place where there were religious people interested in God, and you talked to them about God. I I would love it someday if Grace Bible Church would set up a little pop-up tent right outside uh, a Jehovah's Witnesses Hall, Kingdom Hall, right outside their property, and just be there proclaiming the gospel to anybody who will walk by. Jail preaching. That happened in... Uh, in the New Testament. And it wasn't that they went to the jails to preach, it's that they went to jail. And so they preached. <laughs> Slight difference there. Um, and so you know, we, maybe we don't want to use that method exactly. All right, who's going to volunteer to be a felon so that we can get in? House to house preaching. Acts chapter 20 talks about this. That's, that's relational preaching. That is, that is uh, being in people's homes. And, and having a relationship with them. I, I would urge all of you to have friends who are unbelievers and develop that friendship to the point where you can invite them to, to your home and vice versa. And, and I know it, it might be a little weird. You sit down at a meal with somebody that as soon as the food's served, they grab their fork and dig in and you're just saying, I, I just want to thank the Lord. And it's okay to say, would it be okay if I thanked God for this? Little things like that. Uh, in the New Testament, you saw open air or situational, ad hoc preaching. Just, there was an opportunity. It wasn't so much that somebody said, I'm going to go down to the local uh, chariot bus station and preach there. It's that you happened to be in a situation, and so you spoke. Um, Peter and John, in Acts chapter 3, when they come upon the lame man who's, who asks for money, and, and they say, I don't have any money, uh, but I'll, I'll give you what I have. That was open air preaching. And then, of course, there's just conversation, conversations with people. I, I, I love the story of the Apostle Paul when he was in, we wouldn't really call it jail, it was house arrest in a house he had to rent in Rome, and he had to be uh, chained eight hours a day uh, to a centurion. And they rotated every eight hours so that there was always a centurion with him. And we love uh, how in the book of Philippians uh, that uh, Paul sends greetings from the saved praetorian guard, from the saved guards of Caesar himself. Conversations. So evangelism in the New Testament, in the early church, was inextricably linked to life. It was linked to relationships. Whether it was in the synagogue or in the marketplace or in the home, the gospel was communicated in life settings. Evangelism was linked to life and the events of life. There is not one recorded uh, time in the New Testament, not saying that it didn't happen, but there's not a recorded time where a church got together, had a big evangelism rally and said, okay, let's go out and do evangelism. They just sort of did it. So what I'd like to talk about today is starting the conversation though. 
And we'll do this from a variety of uh, angles. First of all, what do you think about in the conversation? Just some, some broad thoughts for you to consider. First of all, ask questions that reveal their thoughts and their impressions. This is vital for any conversation. I, I always shudder when I see a professing Christian, quote-unquote, evangelized by shoving truth down somebody's throat who wasn't even ready to listen, who, who, won't, even, uh, who won't ask questions. A good open-ended question can't be answered by a simple yes or no. These are questions that draw thoughts, but, but uh, ask questions they can answer. You know, don't, don't ask them uh, questions like, you know, why do you think there are stars in the universe? Well, I don't know. Why are there stars in the universe? Give them a platform to explain their religion, to explain their worldview. What do we mean by open-ended questions? I'll just give you some, some basic examples. How did you make that decision? What motivated you to choose this job? Why is that so important to you? What could you have done in this situation? Can you give me an example of that? What's troubling you right now? These are open-ended questions that require sentences and paragraphs to answer. They're not closed questions like, do you know God? Yes. Uh, okay, well, wait a minute. Uh, how are you? Do you like your job? Is something wrong? Those are closed-ended questions. You're trying to get a conversation started. Another thing to think about in the conversation, listen carefully to their answers. You ever, uh, don't admit this because we've all done it, have you ever not heard what somebody is saying because you're already thinking about what you're going to say? That's, that's rude, isn't it? In fact, the book of Proverbs warns against that, that he who gives a quick answer is unwise, or he who answers before listening. And so don't be in a hurry, don't argue, and be genuinely interested in somebody's viewpoint. Because remember, it's all they have at this moment. It's all they have, and it's, it's precious to them. It doesn't mean it's right, doesn't mean it's correct. But if they get 30 seconds into a conversation, well, yeah, I was, I was Jehovah's Witness, they kicked me out, and now I'm a Mormon, and this and that. If you just say, you're a heretic, well, you've shut that conversation down. How about this question? That's interesting. How, do the Mormons have like a policy about, do they, do they go after Jehovah's Witnesses? You know, help me understand what, what was the appeal for you? What, what is it that you're hanging on to? And affirm that uh, th- these things are important to them. Well, it sounds like this is, this is pretty important. This is kind of what you're hanging on to. Uh, get some insight into his thinking, into his process, to his feelings. And be genuinely interested. It's okay to be interested in the details of somebody's false religion. To say, I, I, I'm curious about this. You know, I've always, I've always heard the rumors that Mormons wear funny underwear. Is that true or is that not true? Um, I, I've, I've heard uh, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir performs all over the world. You know, is that true? And to be interested. Or uh, in our day today, you're going to be more likely to speak to somebody who's made up their own religion, who isn't maybe taken in by a cult. Cults aren't doing as well as they used to, at least on the worldwide stage, uh, unfortunately, because they've been accepted as normal. Uh, the, the mainstream media doesn't call JWs and Mormons cults anymore. Uh, they're just lumped in as Christians or, or um, uh, different sects of Christianity. And so whatever their religion is, you know, so what's your belief system? How do, you, how do you conceptualize God? And be genuinely interested because everybody has a theology. Even somebody says, I don't believe in God. Really, how did you come to that conclusion? That in and of itself is a theology. Let them verbalize their theology. And, and as you understand where they come from, their answers to your questions will give you insight into the nature of why they're rejecting the true God. I knew a guy who had a, a study at his work, and it was basically, come discuss your religion, and come teach all of us your religion. And he would, he would go weeks and weeks letting various people say, this is what I believe, and, and they would have a discussion about it until it got to his turn. And it'd take, if there were six guys there, he would always go last. And then he had his gospel presentation ready. And what he believed was, and I remember him telling me this, because I asked him, <clears throat> Doesn't that make you nervous letting people like practically proselytize for their religions? And he said, no, because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The rest is just false baloney. And so uh, he would let them verbalize their theology. 
So listen carefully to their answers. And that takes something that starts with T and ends with I'm, right? It takes time. It might take months. It might take years of getting to know somebody this way. Another thing to think about. Ask permission to ask a direct question. To be courteous, ask the unbeliever if he would mind if he asked a pointed or a direct question. Isn't that, isn't that nicer than just saying, I'm going to tell you something. Let me tell you something. Isn't it better to say, you know, I've been getting to know you. Do we have the type of relationship that I could just ask you a very direct question and that wouldn't be offensive to you? And if you've been living a godly life in front of them, if you've been treating them with kindness and with care, then they'll say, no, I, I actually would like it if you would ask me a direct question. Let me give you a couple of excellent questions to ask. <clears throat> and, and you're familiar with these. Two excellent questions. The first one, you'd say something like this. I don't mean to sound morbid, but if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? What, what happens to you? I think that's a great question, especially in, in the last couple of years where, where people are confronted with death more than they have been in a long time. If you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And by the way, that's a great opening for your own personal testimony to say, I, I, you know, I don't know what your answer is, but I'm so thankful that I'm not afraid of death. And you can introduce the Bible at that point. You know, the Bible says that, that, there is, that Christians have no fear of death, that death doesn't have a sting, that there's no fear. In fact, uh, and you can tell them this, there's a, there's a chapter in a book called 1 Corinthians, and in the 15th chapter, it actually says that Christians mock death, that we make fun of it. The death, where is your sting? And so you're asking that question, if you were to die today, would you spend eternity? Here's another direct question to ask. What do you believe God requires for people to go to heaven? Or why do you think he should let you in? Now they might say, I don't believe in heaven and hell. Then you go back to apologetics and you say, what, what evidence do you have that heaven and hell do not exist? And they'll say, what evidence do you have that it does exist? And you say, well, I have the word of God. But there, there isn't a document that proves that heaven and hell don't exist. And this is a great question to ask an atheist who believes in annihilation. Which would you rather be? A Christian who's wrong or an atheist who's wrong? What's the logical answer? You'd rather be a Christian who's wrong. Because you, you, you die with your hope in Christ and you just go to sleep and you're, you're gone. Now that's a horrible thought and we know that's not true. The atheist who's wrong, you die, you continue in consciousness and you are now standing before God because Hebrews 9.27 says it is given to a man to die once and then to face judgment. And how horrifying it is that there's nothing in between. It doesn't say it is given to man to die once to stand before God and receive one more chance and then to face judgment. No more chances. So asking direct questions, but... um, you do so in a way where you've already developed a relationship with that person or, or maybe there's they're somebody you've already been able to establish that you can ask direct questions. Here's some common responses to these direct questions that demonstrate unbiblical thinking. Things like, I think God will accept me because I'm a pretty good person. And where do you go with this? On what basis have you judged that you're a good person? Because God's standard is, according to James 2.10, that if you've transgressed one of his laws, you're guilty of all of them. Well, that's not fair. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. It's not fair. But it's holy. God is holy. They might respond, man is basically good and can work his way into heaven. Really? How do you know what your score is? Are you keeping score for yourself or is God keeping score? Like, where's the scoreboard? How do you know? Is going to heaven like a batting average? If you're, if you're three for 10, you're, you're a million dollar a year player. How, how do you know the score? They might say God loves people too much to condemn anyone to hell. Well, that's true. He does love people. Where is your basis for truth that God is love? Well, I I heard it somewhere. And where did that person say it? Well, they said it from the Bible. Can I tell you what else the Bible says? The Bible does say God is love. The Bible also says God is just and he is wrathful. So if you're going to take one part of God from the only source we have about God, then logically you need to receive all of that source. And so you're you're leading them to the truth of the word. Uh, Somebody might say, I think Christ was just a good man. Nothing more than that. Okay, Jesus claimed to be God. 
he claimed to do miracles. He claimed that he was going to die, be raised from the dead, and fly through the air up to heaven. Does that make him good? Well, actually, that kind of makes him crazy. Okay, what if those things are true? And what I just went through is what is called Josh McDowell's uh, liar, lunatic, or Lord argument. That Jesus, if he was, he had to be one of three things. He had to be a liar. He says, I'm God. He says, I'm going to return someday and rule the whole world. He had to be a lunatic. Well, I'm going to walk around and, and, and I'm going to talk to demons and I'm going to pretend to cast out demons. And then I'm going to present myself to die on purpose. If those two things aren't true, there's only one other option. He is the Lord. And all the things he says are true. So when you get, uh, all this is still under asking permission to ask a direct question. Because when you ask the direct direct question, you're going to get an answer that gets to the heart of their theology. And then you can begin to, and this is the, the last thing to think about in the conversation, transition to the authority of God's word for the true answers to these questions. I think that God will accept me because I'm a pretty good person. And so then you might say, the Bible says God's standard for for entering heaven is much different than that. May I share with you what God requires? Psalm 15, God requires that you be blameless before him. Are you blameless? Another answer, you've put some thought into your answer, but it's different than what the Bible says. Notice you don't say that you're wrong and the Bible is right. It's different than what the Bible says. May I share with you what the Bible says? You might also answer, I've heard what you said about God being too loving to send someone to hell. But the Bible says you missed a very important fact. May I share with you what he said about himself? And then you begin sharing that God is just and he is a God of wrath and that he is the creator of hell. He's the creator of the lake of fire. And if they say, I think Christ was just a good man, nothing more than that. Well, we've already talked about that. The, the good person argument, you transition to the word of God. I'm sure you're trying to be a good person, but the Bible says you're missing something. Can I share with you what that is? What is it you're missing? What you're missing is, is that there is no one who does good, no, not one. What are you, t- are you saying that, you know, when I pay my bills on time and I, I, I help my neighbor, you know, mow her lawn because she's, she's too uh, weak to do that, that that's, those aren't good? No, those are good from a human standpoint, but they cannot erase your sin. And so you show what the Bible says and go to Romans 3, that litany of there's no one who does good, no one who seeks after God, there's none righteous, all have turned aside. And you're simply saying, this is what the Bible says about you and about me. The difference between us is that I keep going in Romans 3, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed through Christ. And see, I have no righteousness of my own, but he has He has imparted his righteousness to me by credit. And you begin to explain salvation. So if they don't have any answers to those questions, to any of your questions, that's a great opportunity to say, I'd love to get together with you a few times and share with you what the Bible says. I'm not trying to force this down your throat. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. That's it. So this is what you're ultimately aiming for is to transition to the authority of Scripture. And if you can get somebody to sit down and open a Bible with you and read the Bible and you, and you just simply ask them, what does that sound like it's saying? Don't say, what does it mean to you? Or what do you think that means? But what does it sound like this is saying? What, what are the verbs here? What, what's the content? And so you're transitioning to the, to the authority of the Word of God. Now, how do you get into that conversation? When you're in the conversation, those are things to think about. Let me give you a few possible ways to enter a conversation. I'll give you eight of them. The first one is prayer. Have I mentioned prayer yet in evangelism? This has to be at the top of your list. God wants to answer that prayer, so it's an exciting prayer to pray. We don't know who the elect are, but I do know this. In the sovereignty of God, I believe that Christians tend to pray for the salvation of the elect more than they pray for the non-elect. That's just a a sense that I have. That's a guess. Um, But it is an exciting prayer to pray. 
Prayer also helps you see opportunities you haven't seen before. I, I think prayer puts, puts glasses on that reminds you that all the people around you who are lost need the gospel. And so it's, it's not just to get God to do something. Frankly, prayer is to get you to do something. It is to align your heart with the heart of God, and he has a heart for the lost. Of course, there's cold evangelism. And that's, uh, I think, best done if you're the type of person that uh, likes that. You can give away tracts with or without a conversation. And once in a while, I'll see a, I'll see a believer in Christ just standing outside of Walmart, just giving out tracts. Great. Praise the Lord. If you're going to fish in a pond, put a lot of hooks in the water. Decide on uh, a quantity or quality. Both are okay. Maybe you're giving away a tractor, cold, cold evangelizing because you want to get into a conversation. That's quality. Or maybe you're saying, I'm going to give 100 tracks away today. And that's quantity. Fine. Door to door. We don't do that as much anymore because people have those little cameras, right? And they, they can say through the little speaker, go away. Or I'm not home. Or I'm in Bermuda. And they can pretend to not be home. So however you want to do that. Cold evangelism. That's one way to enter a conversation. <clears throat> Relationship evangelism. You make a commitment to pour into someone's life. And, and this is important because I, I, don't think it's, I, I don't think it's possible to do that with very many people at one time. And can you imagine if every true believer in the church of Jesus Christ was simply pointing out one person in their life that they're going to invest in relationally? One unbeliever. That would be called a revival. And so relationship evangelism, it might be somebody you already know, or you just make a decision to enter into someone's life as a blessing to them, to, to bless them with, with serving them and, and helping them and being available to them, being a friend to them and showing them who you are in Christ. You demonstrate the love of Christ and you earn the opportunity to get closer with them. I heard an interesting sermon and the title was something like Evangelism in the Bar. And I thought, okay, is this guy going to say we should go to the bars to evangelize? That wasn't his point at all. His point was having grown up and been, spent a good chunk of his adult life as an unbeliever and having gone to bars, he brought the perspective that you know why people go to bars after work? You know why they go at 1130 at night? Because they're looking for contact. They're looking for friendship. They're looking for somebody else who's as miserable as they are that they can at least hang out with. And it is in those bars that sometimes friendships are formed. Oh, hey, you work in the building down the street from me. Let's have lunch sometime. And those friendships are formed. And so it is possible for you to run into somebody in, in, in Starbucks and strike up a conversation enough to say, you know, it's interesting. We have something, we have something in common here. You know, we both, we both have a, a child with a disability. I'd love to get together with you and hear your perspective on that. And you strike that friendship up. That's exciting to do. That's, that's interesting. And so relationship evangelism. Then you go home and you get on your knees and you say, Lord, I've made contact. Would you help me? I want to make sure and put this in here. I hear all the time from moms of young kids who just say, I, I can't go cold calling. I, I, I can't even go warm calling. I, I don't have any time for myself. Listen, every mom who's raising children is an evangelist, right? And praise the Lord for that. You have the opportunity to bring to the cross of Christ two, three, or in some of your cases, seven and eight kids and to lead them to the, to the knowledge of the gospel, to pray for them. I don't know how many people, how many Christians can say at the end of their life that I consistently evangelized for 18 to 20 years each, five different people. But that's what a mom can say. And of course, once your kids are grown, you never stop praying for them. You never stop giving them the truth. And so if you're a mom and you are obeying Titus 2 and you're being busy at home and you're nurturing your kids and you're, you're thinking as you're, as you're changing a diaper where, where your kids manage to somehow fill a diaper for the 15th time that day and you're wondering how is that even physically possible but as you're changing the diaper you're, you're remembering 
Just like the filth of this diaper, this child is burdened with the filth of sin. Oh, Lord, I pray that this little one would come to faith before she even remembers what it's like to be an unbeliever. Oh, those are prayers of those moms that go straight to the throne of heaven. And if I could put an anthropomorphism on God for a moment, that God says, hang on all you singing angels, I want to hear this. And so, you want to raise kids? Be a, you want to raise uh, disciples? Be a mom. Be, be a dad. Uh, if, if you're a mom at home, your children are your primary discipleship targets. Don't feel bad that... Oh, I'm not out with the, with the evangelism team and I'm not out handing out tracts. You have, you have bigger things to do. Evangelize the little ones. And they're so great too because um, when you're sharing the gospel with them and they, they get up to leave, you just go and grab them by the collar and bring them back. You can't do that in other realms of life. Somebody walks out on you in Starbucks, you can't go, hang on, I'm putting you in the headlock because you need to hear the rest of this. But you can with your kids and you can demonstrate the love of Christ to them If I had a nickel for every great preacher I've heard say the most influential person in my life was my mother, I would be wealthy. That is a huge thing that that the Lord has done. So you want to evangelize the lost? Give birth to them (laughs) and be a mom. How about creative service opportunities? And I want to, I want to, hang on this for a moment because the gospel is not about feeding the hungry the gospel is not about doing things for people the gospel we'll put it this way is not about feeding the hungry it's about giving the bread of life about giving the gospel but you can feed the hungry and give a tract to someone to say i'm giving you this bag of groceries and and a gospel tract i hope you read it Uh, The gospel is not, we have a free car wash to show that God loves you. How is that showing that God loves you? What, What? God wants me clean? I don't understand that. Unless you're giving them the actual gospel. The gospel is not, um, get people in the church door with stuff and programs. But you can use service opportunities as an opportunity to, to build a relationship or at least to put the content of the gospel out there. I'll give you a few examples, uh, real life examples that I'm aware of. I know in one church, uh, during the summertime, uh, they pack ice chests filled with water bottles and they go to parks and they just put up a sign that says free water. And people come and say, yeah, I'd like some free water. And they give them a tract. It's very simple. Sometimes conversations are are started. I know of a church that uh, had a plethora of professional mechanics in the church. And so those guys got together and they put together one, it became two, and I believe at last count, they have three or four um, completely outfitted uh, tooled vans, uh, big vans with a ton of tools, uh, but they also have, they keep ice chests filled with Gatorade and water, they keep gospel tracks, and they go out in pairs onto the freeways of their city. It's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They go onto the freeways, and they, uh, they hear about... Uh, they, or they see people who have just pulled off to the side of the road and they, they make the vans really nicely painted and they look really nice and they pull up behind somebody and they get out and they say, we're professional mechanics. We'd like to help. Is there anything we can do? And it's even gotten to the point that some of the roadside services locally will call these guys and say, hey, can you get there where our guy is busy? What a glorious opportunity for the gospel. And what they do is that, especially if it's like a mom with kids, then they'll say, hey, we've got, we've got drinks back here and we'll pull out some chairs, put up a little shade while we work on your car. What a wonderful, creative way to, to, to uh, serve. Now, you can do the free car wash and use it as an opportunity to give away gospel tracts. You're probably going to use a lot of water and soap and maybe not uh, a lot of progress, but you got the gospel out there. And you got, uh, you, you, you're not saying uh, free car wash to show God loves you. They don't make that connection. But you can make the connection with the gospel. I, I know of one family that would collect $1 bills and even their kids would contribute to this and they would simply paperclip a gospel tract that was the size of a dollar bill underneath it and they would just go out in the community and drop them here and there. I don't know about you. I know it's 2021 and inflation is high and that a dollar's worth a nickel right now. 
If I see a dollar, I'm still going to bend over and pick it up. And they just got the gospel out that way. Churches do this. I've even known families that do this. Doing some sort of community thanks. Uh, The typical uh, uh, fire station has a few guys there. And, and I have known families and churches that go by and say, hey, is there a time we could bring a meal to you? We'd just like to express our thanks. And sharing with them, uh, let me tell you why we're expressing our thanks to you. Um, because uh, God says you're a gift to our community, and we're so thankful for that. And by the way, God has given other gifts to us. Uh, at the top of the list is Christ. And you bring somebody a free meal, and they're sitting there eating, they're, they're going to listen to you. So some sort of community thanks. I, I don't know how we would do this, but I would love it if someday Grace Bible Church could have a law enforcement appreciation Sunday where we would invite local police officers to come and, and receive a meal and we would honor them. And the beauty of that is, believers or not, Romans 13 says to honor them. And so we just simply say we're obeying the Lord in this. So... You see, creative service opportunities, it's just a matter of deciding what you want to do. Another way to think about this, about evangelism, jail ministry. We have had, for a number of years, a jail ministry at Grace Bible Church. It is a, it is a difficult ministry to maintain. And I've been reading a little bit more about um, what some have called one-on-one jail ministry. And that's simply that you get the contact information of one guy who is behind bars and you begin a relationship with that person. And if, if it's allowed, you go and visit. You bring whatever you're allowed to bring, gospel tracts. You even uh, engage in a Bible study with that guy. Um, and, and I think that's very effective and that builds a relationship. Uh, in, in the past, a number of years ago, our church built a relationship with one, one man who got saved in jail. He was a, uh, he, he became the, the, uh, impromptu music worship leader in among the guys in jail. And when he got out, the first place he wanted to go was Grace Bible Church and we presented him with a brand new guitar that he could continue his ministry. How about this one? Evangelistic Bible study. How do you do that? That's simple. Grab two or three families, get together, start praying and planning. And then, uh, and then go out and invite people. Uh, tell them up front, it's for food and for getting to know people. It's amazing to me how we live in a county with nearly a million people, and yet I run into people all the time uh, who, you know, if you're, if you're semi-warm, people will sometimes open up to you, and for some reason they'll open up to me, and they'll, they'll, people have told me as recently as a week ago, you know, I, I don't really have any good friends. I've lived here for 20 years. And so uh, to, to say, hey, I... I know I don't know you very well, but I have a few friends that we get together every couple of weeks and we bring casseroles and, and chips and dip. Love to have you at our home and, and just chat. And we're going to talk about important things. We're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about God. And, and you just do that together. The worst that can happen if you start an evangelistic Bible study is that two or three families get together to pray for the lost. That's the worst that can happen. The best that can happen is that you begin to, um, to uh, bring them in uh, to understand the gospel. And you might be saying, well, you know, how do I, you know, I need a curriculum. I, I need something like that. You know, it's an easy thing to do is pull up five or six of my sermons that are evangelistic and just say, hey, this is my pastor. I'd like for you to listen to him uh, while we eat our, eat our food. That's fine. Or just open up the Bible and begin to read through it. What, 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 is, this, what is this saying? What is, it, what is the content here? And then as we've said before, to enter into a conversation, invite them to church. Not just once. Keep challenging them three or four times. And, and it's at some point, you know, if they say, I'm really sort of tired of you inviting me to church, I think you can, you can say, look, I, I understand that. But do you understand I'm inviting you to get off of a track that's going to a bridge that's out? I'm inviting you to hear truth. And look, what's it going to do? do it, how about I invite you to my house for dinner or Saturday night, and then we go to church together Sunday? I'll even make that deal with you. Um, give them the opportunity and keep challenging them to come. One great way to invite people to church is to make it an event. Don't just say, I hope to see you here. Um, just say, hey, 
I, I know this sounds weird, but I'm going to rent a van and I'm coming by to pick up your family and we're going to go to church. And then afterwards, my treat, we're going to go to Chili's and have lunch together. And what are you going to do over lunch? You're going to talk about what they heard, right? And talk about what, what you heard. So yeah, this is really entirely up to you, but I, my, the point I'd like to make kind of to close this out is evangelism is a way of life. It's a way of thinking. It's, it's the glasses you put on that, that says, I have lost people all around me and I am the carrier of the truth of the word of God. I am astounded at um, the text that Paul writes in uh, 1 Timothy when he talks about uh, the fact that the church, and I know we've talked about this this year, but he talks about the church is the pillar and buttress or foundation of the truth. What does a pillar do? Pillar holds something up, right? We're holding up the truth. We're holding up the truth so that the lost can walk in under that and begin to receive um, the, the benefits of the truth. Evangelism happens through the believers. Um, and yes, I, I'm all for leaving tracks on park benches if that's what you want to do. But ultimately, it requires contact with people, right? So evangelism is a way of life. It's a way of thinking. I, I would just think about what can I do? What am I best at? What interests me the most? It, you know, if I say you should go down to the bus stop and, and really godly Christians stand on a soapbox and they preach to people who walk by, that's not helpful because almost nobody likes to do that. Once in a while, there's the occasional person who says, I love doing that. Great, go do that. But I'll bet more of you would be interested in developing a relationship with somebody or saying, you know, I can make a casserole. I can make two of them at once and invite somebody over. And so... I just want to encourage you to um, make your life about being a purveyor of the gospel at whatever level. And, and maybe you're at the stage of life where it's all you can do just to get through a day. Maybe your health is such that all you can do is get through a day. Well, then you should have the longest evangelistic prayer list of anybody. And how about this? When you come to church, ask five people, what lost people in your life can I pray for? And who can I pray for? What's, the, what, what's their name? Where do they live? And you begin praying and every once in a while say, hey, I've been praying for your brother and, and go to the throne that way. We actually have a, a couple of extra minutes. So I want to open our time up to some questions about evangelism, about the gospel. And if we have time after that, then we'll ask questions about anything else. But yeah, David. They're, they're the toughest ministry. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that. That's a, that's a great question. How do you minister to somebody who says they're a Christian, but their, their, their life doesn't show that? Um, obviously, our theological answer is from uh, John 15, that a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. So... That's a longer-term conversation. If they don't want to talk about the Lord, okay, you, you, you file that away. I would invite them to say, you know, you say you're a Christian and Christians love the Bible. I'd love to get together with you this coming Saturday morning and, and let's study the Bible together. Would you like to do that? That's a win-win. Because if they say, no, I really don't want to study the Bible, then you can say, you know, you say you're a Christian, but the things that, that interest Christians are not interesting to you. Like you're not interested in the word of God, which is the very mind of Christ. So that, that concerns me because, um, and, and you're not going to church. You say you're a Christian, but you're not going to church and you point these things out. If they say, yes, sure, I'll get together to study the Bible, then you've called their bluff and then you're bringing them to the truth. And you're not, you're not there to convince them that they're lost. You're just there to give them the truth. Hey, you know, let's, one of my favorite passages is Romans 3. Let's talk about this part that says there is no one who does good. No, not one. What do you think that's saying? What, what is that? What is, what, what's in that text? And so eventually what you're doing is getting to the point of saying, look, you've been telling me you're a Christian. 
but you're not interested in the Word of God, you're not interested in being a part of the church, you're, you don't even want to hear about my faith and my testimony. And so uh, let me just tell you in all love what the Bible says. And the Bible says that good trees bear good fruit, bad trees bear bad fruit. And your life is bearing bad fruit. Look, your marriage is a mess. You're, you know, if you, you've cheated at work. We both know it. So your life doesn't bear out that you're a Christian. And you know, what's the worst that can happen? They'll either reject that and run from you or um, the Spirit of God will begin working with them. But that is, that is tough. I ministered in Central Texas. In Central Texas, everybody's been saved 50 times and baptized 10. It's like, it's like plowing ground made of titanium. And so you have to convince people. I preached more sermons on hell I mean, I gave the gory details of hell. I talked about the worm that never dies and why flames must burn a resurrected body for all eternity. Because you have to terrify people with the fact that they're unsaved. I preached Matthew 7 countless times. Lord, Lord, did we not do these mighty works in your name? And I even, I even said it out loud. I said, you know what those people are? Those are Southern Baptists who were born in the church and died in the church and went to hell. So uh, those are tough people to minister to. But I am confident that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Okay, look, I, I know you're not, you say you're not interested in the, in the Bible. You're not interested in, in me as a Christian, but you say you're a Christian. Can I just read something to you? Like it'll literally take 30 seconds and read to them from some gospel passages. Thank you for letting me read to you. I appreciate it. Can we go out to lunch next week and can I read one more thing to you? So, yeah, they might say, man, this guy's a nut job. Then your conversation is, I'm doing what Christians do and you're telling me I'm crazy. What does that make you? So, does that help a little bit? Yeah. Other questions? Somebody asked me this the other day, so I'll tell you. Do you tell people you're a pastor when you're sharing the gospel with them? Never. That shuts them down in five seconds. Because you know, you know why? They think I'm doing my job. They, they think I'm, I'm trying to get people in the church to give money. And so that just shuts them down. And I'm always disappointed when they say, what do you do for a living? Uh, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? You know, <laughs> they, that scares them off. So I try not to do that. Uh, in my neighborhood, I have a reputation as the guy who has his tools out in the driveway all the time. Um, and there's a few people who know I'm a pastor. Most people just think I'm a weirdo woodworker. Um, but it's a glorious opportunity. People come by all the time. Oh, what are you making now? And I get to share the gospel with them. So um, and as soon as I say I'm a pastor, they oh, uh, so you're like a carpenter like Jesus? Is that what you're trying to do? Is that what other questions? Evangelism, the gospel. Yeah, Caleb. What would you say to someone that uh, they say they accept the Bible as the word of God, but that uh, its interpretation is more than widely interpreted to mean different things, like how can you really say for certain unless that be true or not? Uh, you agree with them. And you say, absolutely, the Bible can be interpreted so many different ways. It can be interpreted a million wrong ways and right, one right way. Let's get together and let's, let's interpret it together. Because if you and I can agree on what something means, wouldn't you think that, that we're probably close to being right? And so uh, let's interpret Romans 3 that says, there's no one who does good, no, not one. What various interpretations could that have? Uh, no one. Uh, that's pretty all-inclusive. And so call their bluff. Say, let's interpret the Bible together and just let the Word of God speak because the Holy Spirit, unbeknownst to them, will be shedding light on the truth. And, and you just agree with them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, people use the Bible for horrible uh, reasons. They, they uh, have made Jesus into a social justice fanatic. Um, so how about let's just see what it says. Let's forget all the other interpretations. Let's just read it. And, and read it like a newspaper. Um, nobody reads a, a newspaper article or an article online and say, oh, there's a lot of different ways to interpret this. They, they just take it at face value. So call their bluff and say, I agree. Way, lots of ways to interpret the Bible. Let's interpret it for ourselves. So that's what I would do. That, that's a fun conversation because you say, well, hang on a minute. I didn't say I want to interpret the Bible. 
Well, if you're going to say there's lots of ways to interpret the Bible, then let's try one out. Let's try it out. Because no unbeliever reads the Bible and and comes up with weird things that uh, don't make sense from an actual text. They'll say, oh, Jesus is all about love. Really? Okay, but if you get them to the text where Jesus says that you will die in your sins and you will never see God and you cannot come where I'm going, you can't deny the truth of that text. Okay, so Jesus is, is loving, but he's also what? Well, that sounds like he's pretty mad at sin too. So that's what I would do. Call their bluff. Interpret the Bible with them. So, good question. What else? Yes, Darletta. Children who are lost. Are you talking about uh, adult, children. T- adult children? Oh, adult children. That's, that's tough. You pray for them and you, you let them know, I'm your mother and I will be praying for you to come to faith in Christ. And if you think I'm weird for doing that, then, then you can and I don't care because I'm going to keep taking you to the throne. And you do the same thing with them you did when they were three and you put your hands on your hips and you say, you're going to do what I say. Well, I can't make you do what I say, but I can tell you this, I'm praying for your salvation every day and I'm going to bring up my faith in the Lord. And if that, if that drives a wedge between us, then I'm going to pray all the more. Because I love you and the most loving thing I can do is to ask the Lord to save your soul. And I will never apologize for being a praying mama. And, but you can't meet them where they are. You can't say, I'm going to try to be the cool mom to an adult kid. Um, I'm the praying mom. And, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to let you know every conversation. All right, son, I, I'm so glad to know that things are going well at work. Glad to know you got to Got a raise. I'm thankful for that. Just so you know, and he's going to be parroting the words, I'm praying for you to come to faith in Christ. And you just keep saying it. And there will be a day when he comes to faith and he says, that's because of my praying mama. So, good question. Well, why don't we close that out and with that and we'll pray together now. Our Father, seated in this room, many dozens of people, Lord, who represent gospel opportunities in their spheres of influence. I pray, for, I pray for the moms with little ones in their home, Lord, that they would determine to make the gospel the flavor of the home. I pray for the moms, as we just spoke of, with adult children who don't have direct influence anymore, but they can still be a praying mother, letting them know that the gospel is there, waiting for them to respond. I pray for those in this room, Lord, who are, who are in work or work environments or other environments that include a lot of unbelievers, Lord, that they would be faithful, that they would see these opportunities and begin to share Christ with their lives and with the truth of the gospel. Lord, we've been talking about these things for the last number of weeks. I pray for fruit from these conversations, Lord. I pray that there would be a day that we see somebody walk through this door and receive Christ because somebody in this room was faithful to bring them to church, to share Christ with them, to bring them to the foot of the cross. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for your attention and for listening.